0: Hella awesome, hella fantastic, hella, hella idea. (laughs) Did I do it right? Only in front of
1: adjectives, only in front of adjectives. Oh, 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 I see. It's a hella great idea. I see,
0: hella great idea, hella great. Okay, I'll have to practice it.
1: (laughs) Yep, that is definitely my mom. I think you'll find that my mom is kind, kooky, and clearly tolerant of her daughter teaching her new things. But more often, I find that my mom is teaching me new things. And I hope you learn new things, too, on this, our 10th episode. I'm Rebecca, and this is Advice from Mom. On this episode, we explore the dynamics of families. We'll give advice for questions sent in by these listeners. Wounded Not Broken, Solamente Uno, and New Auntie. And we'll get some amazing advice from the director of America's First Crisis Hotline, a photographer chef, and a woman who confused me as a child by how strikingly similar she looks to my own mother. And never fear, you'll be hearing a lot of advice from one of Milwaukee's finest exports and Pittsburgh's finest imports psychologist, and family therapist, Dr. Elizabeth Ann Skabinski-Bortman, PhD. Now you know why we call her Mama B. Each listener question will get treated to three helpings of advice. First, you'll hear from Mama B. Then you'll hear me test, stretch, and question that advice in a segment we've lovingly named Mother Daughter Pickleball. In honor of my mama's favorite sport. And then we'll get an expert second opinion, because it's always a wise idea to get a second opinion. It's also a wise idea to remember that this podcast, it's for informational purposes only, and it's not intended to offer diagnosis or treatment for any medical or psychological condition. All treatment decisions should be made in partnership with your health professional. Stay tuned at the end of the episode to find out what big podcasting adventures we're going on next season, and how you can be a part of them. But now, let's get to talking about families. So, Mama, this is
0: your dream topic. Is that right? Families. Yes, it's, I find it very exciting. Very, very exciting. I guess you could say it's my passion. (laughs) It's your passion and your profession. It certainly is near and dear to my heart, and it's something that I think is helpful and uh, was even able to do some good things with my own family. Oh, you mean me and you? Yes, and other
1: family members as well. Yeah, they might listen to this episode and just... Uh,
0: boom, relationships are improved. (laughs) That's how family therapy works, right? One idea that is very powerful, very profound maybe, is that a therapist can do family therapy with one person. And the reason for that is that a family is a system and every person in that system affects every other person in that system. So if one person in the system changes... That has impact on everybody else in the family.
1: So that's why you're so excited about this topic is because we can actually make a big difference in families by having our listeners individually make changes in the way that they behave?
0: Precisely. I think of it as throwing a pebble or maybe a rock into the pond and watching the ripples hit every single shore.
1: The reason I'm so drawn to this format is that it is a broadcast. And by making this podcast, even though we're only answering three people's questions an episode, my hope is really that these messages get
0: out to a much larger audience. Right, right. And I think when people learn something that is very useful, I think they want to share it. And I think even the way they act, you know, is a way of sharing it with other people. So
1: when I introduce you, I always call out that you're a psychologist and family therapist, and that's because you've done this special training to be a family therapist in addition to getting your PhD. Is that right? Correct. Correct. And it's very
0: unusual uh, to be both.
1: Oh. I thought it was just kind of something that gets locked up all the time, like... OB and GYN. I thought it was oh, just together. something that together. locked right. up, but no, it's it's a special thing that my mom does that not a lot of moms do
0: or dads. Yes, that's right. That's right. So what made you decide to be both? Family therapy always just fascinated me. And then at the time I was living in Philadelphia and um, going to graduate school at, at the University of Pennsylvania. And I, when I Found out that some of the most famous family therapists were right, <laughs> literally right around the block. It was so exciting to learn with people like Salvador Minuchin and Jay Haley and uh, uh, Marianne Walters. Excellent, excellent, excellent teachers and family therapists. Mental health name-dropping, complete. Mm, no, family therapy name-dropping,
1: But just, okay, family therapy, mental health, subcategory, family therapy, name dropping complete.
0: (laughs) Okay, there you go. Have it your way, darling. You ready to dive
1: into some questions, Mama? Sure am. All right, here we go. Our first question, it's actually pretty heavy. But we think that's fitting because a lot of times there's parts of our family stories that are pretty heavy. Here's our first question. Dear Mama B, greetings from Chicago. I'm 26 years old and I've struggled with depression for a long time. As a logical, educated adult with advanced degrees, I know the signs. Only in the past few years have I started to confide in friends about my depression and seek on-campus help. I'm doing a lot better now and I feel more balanced in my everyday life. But a lot about this past year, my new job, an apartment after grad school, the election and its disheartening aftermath, life in general, threw me for a loop. Now that I am, quote, in the real world, and I don't have the safety net of, quote, confidential and free mental health services that were provided to students on campus, I'm scared to reach out for help, especially in the current state of our society and healthcare. If I seek help, will that endanger my ability to have healthcare in the future? As a fun added note, I grew up with the implicit idea that talking about mental health was bad. My dad hid his bipolar disorder from our family and completed suicide when I was nine. Do you have any advice for someone who knows that there's help out there, but doesn't know the best way to get it? Signed. Wounded, not broken. Wounded, not broken. Here is
0: some advice from my mom. Hello, wounded, not broken. Thank you for your heartfelt question. I want to get this answer to you real quick because I'm hoping that you'll be able to find some relief soon, very soon. It makes sense to me that you feel that you're facing insurmountable obstacles, and that would overwhelm anyone. I have three ideas to help guide you through this rough patch. First, acknowledge that you're going uphill and that you're probably gonna face obstacles, maybe a lot of them. Suddenly, you must adapt to all these large, stressful changes And change is so hard, mainly because we are creatures of habit and also because you come from a depressed family. Coming from a depressed family, that's a big deal. Your dad's suicide is a tragic fact of your life. And I don't have to tell you, whatever happens to us as children is very profound impact So uh, the other thing that happens is that we get stuck on negative thoughts and, and just recycle them and recycle them over and over until they become what we call automatic thoughts, especially the negative ones become automatic thoughts very quickly and easily. So you certainly suffered a lot as a kid, but you could make a decision today to say to yourself, I have suffered enough. Now it's my turn to be happy. This is what we call an affirmation. And they're used often to help people to change their thinking about important things. So it's yours to use if you wish. The second guideline I'd like to give you is to suggest to you that you build on your strengths. Dwell on your successes. There are many of those, and of course, you got through graduate school, you found a job, you found counseling when you were in school, and another of your strengths is your really good ability to articulate your fears, to acknowledge when you're stuck, and to ask for help. Wow, that's a big one. By the way, uh, let me ease your fears. You wrote I'm scared to seek out help, especially in the state of society and health care that we have. If I seek help, will that endanger my ability to have health care in the future? It's really a shame that you have to worry about things like that, but I invite you to just be at ease about that. It probably will not be a relevant factor. So another of your strengths is your good ability to learn. So you could use your good head to find some new hobbies or distractions. For example, maybe you want to start watching some stand-up comedy, especially if you're interested in the politics of the day, or read about how other people have dealt with um, tragic life events. Again, we've included a number of items in the show notes so one more lovely strength you have is that you have already proven to yourself that you can heal and feel better. Remember, you already found therapy before, and you, you had a period of stability. And here's my evidence. You say in your question, I'm doing a lot better now and much more balanced in my everyday life. So there's nothing like our own experience to convince us. So my third and final guideline is, I suggest that you use gentle persuasion to slowly cajole yourself into doing the hard work of finding a therapist. It will be well worth the effort when you're ready to do so. So your daily affirmation, or if you will, your mantra, could be, I will find a therapist, a wonderful therapist. It may take me a while, but I'll find him or her.
1: I think it's time for mother, daughter, pickle, pickleball. This is a heavy question, you
2: it know, is. and I'm
1: maybe maybe a heavy one to start out the show with. But this question to me is: What do we inherit from
0: our family? Yes, yes. There has been a great deal of information that says that what we inherit, any specific gene, no matter what it has to do with, can be either turned on by our lifestyle or turned off by our lifestyle. So I think that's really, really exciting. There's lots to be done just stabilizing and having a really healthy lifestyle. And I, I like that because it's a way to avoid
1: being a victim of your family's previous diagnoses.
0: It's funny that you should mention that because I was just thinking the other day about how you would not drink anything. I don't know how old you were when you finally started, you know, having some alcohol. I was twenty seven. Were you really? Mm-hmm. My lord. And then after that you told me that that was on purpose because you were concerned about our family inheritance.
1: A message I have gotten time and time again is that we're dealt the hand that we're dealt, you know, our family we have a history of addiction. We also have family members that suffer with depression, you know, we don't we didn't get a clean bill of mental health in that way. Mm. There's also families out there that struggle with weight, that struggle with diabetes. that can consume you. That can be your entire life mm-hmm. um, is yes, those struggles. Yes. Um, and then there's other people that just they seem they seem to, as you say, mom, be like a duck and let it roll off their back. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Who knows mm-hmm. on the inside if that's really the case, but I feel a lot of hope for wounded, not broken just by the nom de plume that you gave yourself. So, it. I mean, it is a changing world, and it is a scary world, but, Mom, I was hoping maybe you could provide wounded, not broken, a little bit of reassurance by just talking about what confidential mental health means. So what does it mean when you tell a mental health professional something confidential?
0: That's a real good question, and um, if a person has health insurance that is providing... The funding for the therapy, then, as I understand it, the only things that we therapists have to provide are the dates of service, the kind of service it is, whether it's talking therapy with one person or talking therapy with more than one person, and how long the session is, and then finally a diagnosis. And I am very, very, very careful with the diagnoses that I use on my clients. And as far as pre-existing conditions, if somebody is concerned about what a therapist might use as the diagnosis for them, that that should be something that they would mention right at the very first session.
1: So a lot of times we give baby steps. We give short-term solutions that we recommend that the listener try to combat a bigger problem. For this listener, I want to talk about the longer term. Do you think this person should try to get their family to discuss this, get their family to discuss the loss of their
0: dad? Oh, that sure wouldn't be a first step. And I'm glad you're asking that because it never even occurred to me. Often families are in such denial and it's such a painful thing for a family to have lost a family member to suicide that doing any kind of talking about it is not first of all not respectful of their boundaries and secondly is is like you know ripping off that scab when they don't they don't have any bandages or any medical help to stitch it back up again once it's bleeding so I guess in general I would say no often people do things at their own pace if they're not ever needing or wanting to explore this issue that's their choice totally that that makes a lot
1: of sense so wounded not broken for your second opinion I have for you the advice of a very wise woman For the past 20 years, she's managed a staff that is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to help people in crisis and to help prevent suicide. I'd like you to meet Eve R. Meyer.
2: Wounded, not broken, hello. I'm very glad to be talking with you. I want to talk about what happens when a suicide happens in a family. Usually, when a death happens, you get a lot of support from your neighbors. They bring you casseroles, they call you, they come around a lot. You don't get that kind of support when you have a suicide in the family. People become very nervous, they stay away, they don't know what to say, so they don't say anything, they don't hug you, they leave you very much alone. So as a family, as a family member, to go through the experience of mourning a suicide without the support that somebody would get if the father had died of cancer, if your father had been in a terrible traffic accident, is a very different kind of experience. Even though a suicide is both a death by illness and a terrible accident, all wrapped in one. And you never get a normal period of grieving, you never get normal supports, and you get absolutely no casseroles. There are three times as many suicides as homicides in the United States Everyone is always surprised to hear this. It tells you how much we do not think about the suicides, don't talk about them, try to put them out of our heads because of the stigma that is attached to them. And that stigma makes us help people very little. And for each of the people who dies... There are 40 to 50 people who are affected by that death. We don't think about that. People say very often, well, it didn't hurt anybody else. And you can believe that until you are in a family where it happens. And then you realize how many people got hurt. You were nine years old, eight or nine years old, when your father died of suicide. Eight- and nine-year-old people believe that they have control over their parents, and to an extent they do. And when a death happens, they often feel like it is their own fault. When a divorce happens, they are convinced it's their fault. So you may have been carrying around, without ever realizing it, a feeling that you were somehow involved or responsible in some way for that death. And you weren't. The rational part of your head knows that you weren't, and you even know what his diagnosis was and how you couldn't possibly have been involved in it. But there's a child still inside of you that probably believes that you were. You can manage that And a lot of suicide prevention crisis centers have programs for people who have survived the suicide of another person. Luckily, there is an 800-number crisis line network in the United States. The number is uh, 800-273-8255, 273-TALK. Our agency is called San Francisco Suicide Prevention. Uh, We tell people to call us no matter what, whether they are suicidal or not. Your local crisis center can help manage some of the mental health issues that you are raising without ever becoming a source of information that could be used by an insurer to determine whether you had a pre-existing condition. Most crisis agencies, when they retain information, retain it by first name only. You give them a first name that may or may not exist. We have a crisis line agency in San Francisco. Almost every woman is named Heather. There can't be that many people named Heather in San Francisco. But they are Heather, so nobody knows who anybody is. So I would recommend using that 800-273-8255 number to access both services for grieving and for recovering from an old memory like that. And services for a current depression, especially since you can access them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You don't have to make an appointment. You don't have to take a shower. You don't have to dress up. You just pick up the telephone. So that's my recommendation in both of those instances. At some point in your life, given your experiences, you may be... Yourself an important resource to other people. You yourself are walking around with a data bank of experience and questions and later on answers that you can reach out and help other people with. So never forget how important you yourself are given what you have walked through. Never dismiss that.
1: Thank you, Eve, for the incredible work that you do and for your heartfelt advice. We included that crisis hotline number in our show notes. Our next question is about what it takes to make a big family decision. And what if that decision... Is about making a bigger family. Here's our next question Dear Mama B, I am 32 and I have a beautiful two year old daughter. My husband and I are the happiest that we've ever been in our lives and we love being parents, much more than we thought we would. I love my daughter and all the adventures and challenges that she brings into my life. My husband and I are considering having another child. But I'm afraid that another child would throw off this beautiful balance we've created in our home. Currently, we have time in our lives to be individuals, to be a couple, and to be a family. I'm nervous that having another child will leave me consumed by my responsibilities as a mom. At the same time, I'm afraid I'll wake up at 42 and wish I had more kids. It might also be helpful to know that my husband has two brothers. And I'm an only child. I was raised by a single father, and I haven't had a relationship with my mother since my early 20s. However, I've always had a community filled with strong and inspiring women who nurtured me throughout my life. I was nervous about becoming a mother, and I went to a year of therapy before getting pregnant to address the concerns I had about repeating my mother's mistakes. Becoming a mother was the best decision I ever made. But how do you know if you're done having kids? Sincerely, Solamente Uno? Well, Solamente Uno, deciding whether to grow a family is a really, really big decision. I'm really excited for you to get
0: some advice from my mom. Hello to you, Solamente Uno, and thanks so much for your question. I think many, many people, many couples are facing... The dilemma that you describe. I understand your misgivings, and I really think they're kind of predictable, given your background and your life experience. To me, it sounds like your inner voice is leaning toward no. Maybe your inner voice is telling you that you'd be pushing the limits if you had another child. My first reaction after reading your question the first time was probably not a good idea to have another child. I reread your question again one week later, and actually I had the very same reaction. So I hope you believe in and trust your inner voice. My belief is that our inner voice is filled with wisdom and has your own best interests in mind. Sometimes with a new client, the only thing I really do is help that person to trust their inner voice, that they're getting good guidance, and that they should consider following that advice, even if everybody around them disagrees. So I have some kind of practical suggestions about things you can do to help make a good decision. The first idea I call my three to four mornings of same answer strategy. I've talked about this before, and it is a system that I use myself. When I'm trying to make a big, important decision, I pay attention to what message I'm getting, what my inner voice says first thing in the morning. So basically, what I'm looking for is three or four days, mornings in a row, where I get the same answer from inside myself. And then if that happens, I feel much more clear that all the lights are green to go ahead. So Rebecca might really object to this one, but I'm going to take a chance here and then maybe get some flack from Rebecca later. So I don't know if you are familiar with the website WikiHow. It contains expert-reviewed articles, and the article that I found, which I thought was pretty helpful, it's how to decide whether or not to have a baby. It actually gives you twelve specific steps on how to go about almost making an inventory of your life and how. Each factor plays a role in your pros and cons about having another baby. I found the article real useful, and possibly you will also. Finally, the tried and true strategy, consider couple therapy. Since you have already gone to therapy to decide about the first baby, which was so smart of you, Maybe going to couple therapy would help the two of you create an even better team who can problem solve in a really wonderful way. So I'm hopeful that if that's useful, that you will uh, pursue it. Let's play Mother Daughter Bickle Ball.
1: Mom, you've thrown out a few things that you're like, I know Rebecca won't like this, but I'm going to do it anyways. This is my part of the show.
0: I'm a rebellious lady, huh?
1: Yeah, I like that. I, I like your vim and vigor. I mean, if you just like, if you said just totally non House suggestions, what would I have to pick on?
0: <laughs> You'd find something, I assure you.
1: It sounds like it is perfectly directed for Solamente Uno's question. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited about that. We should we should direct them to all the specific resources we can find for them. Yep. Okay, Mom, I got some more doozies for you. You ready?
0: Good, good. You always do. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing them.
1: First off, we need to rename your strategy of three to four mornings of the same answer strategy. Is that really what you're calling oh. your strategy?
0: No. I mean, that was just, I knew you probably would have some really succinct and very, appropriate title for it. So I just left it to you. You just kind of piled on all the words
1: and you said, we'll deal with this in Mother Daughter Pickleball? You always come up with
0: these wonderful, wonderful, short, you know, descriptions of things.
1: Well, it's because I think this strategy is such a good one. I want to give it a snappy name. You know, one of my favorite sayings is your first thought of the morning is your last pure thought of the day. So what if this was... Wake-up thoughts. And also, three to four days, just round it up to a week. Okay. So it's like Solamente Uno, someone asked her what she thinks, and she's like, well, I had a week worth of wake-up thoughts, and then I decided to do whatever her decision is.
0: I I like that. I really like that. Uh, That's perfect. So, Mom, back to
1: your advice. I love what you said about trusting your inner voice. And it made me think about how I think there's some hidden voices in this question. So are there voices in Solamente Uno's life that are saying things that are different than her inner voice and maybe they're even louder than what she's hearing inside?
0: That's really such a good point. And one of the steps in the WikiHow article is about pay attention, who is pressuring you? So in this
1: case, I would say if you can identify these voices that are pressuring you, can you also start to dig into why these voices are pressuring you? Maybe these voices are fellow mothers in your life and they really want their choices validated. Or maybe it's older relatives and they want more grandkids. Only you know by kind of continually diving
0: in and asking why. So it's really like uh, pulling on that string and finding out what is really at the end of it, huh? Yeah. And,
1: Mom, I'm surprised you didn't call this listener a Girl Scout. She seems like she is always prepared, and I know how you love <laughs> that Girl Scouts are always prepared.
0: <laughs> Look at all these steps she did before she had her first child. It's amazing. But I I understand that because she had— a tough time with dealing with her mother, the disrupted relationship. So that's really hard for a woman because generally the person we identify with is the female in the family. And if there's no female in the family, in the immediate family, it's really hard to figure out who you are as a woman. And and of course, then a mother. So that makes sense to me.
1: Yeah. But I also want to call out, I was so excited to read in this question that they're the happiest they've ever been in their lives. Like how amazing. I know. Um, That's something that a lot of people never, never reach. I also know that when you are that happy, it can sometimes feel like a little bit walking on eggshells because you don't want to change anything of the dynamic to, like she says, throw off the beautiful balance.
0: This is such a wonderful thing to hear because it is rare.
1: We are a little sample of a single child family, and we're going to hear next from a woman who has more than one child, so she'll give a perspective on that. But mom, do you want to give a little bit of your own perspective of what it's like raising one
0: child? The hardest part was really that you didn't have peers, siblings right here at home. That you could learn how to fight with and you could learn how to, you know, share with and you could learn how to model after and you can learn how to envy or whatever, you know, whatever the dynamics are. But I think it all worked out okay. You somehow found ways to circumvent that.
1: So the question we leave you with, Solamente Uno, is if you decide not to have another child, what can you do for your daughter to make sure that she has that enriched social experience that came along with growing up as one of three, like your husband did, while being one of one, like you were? In some ways, it could be the best of both worlds. So you think about that, and in the meantime, I am thrilled to introduce you to Phyllis Grant. Phyllis is a chef, a photographer, a writer, and the mother of two.
3: Hi, Solamente Uno. My name is Phyllis. I'm a mom. I write recipes. I write about parenting. I write about all the shenanigans going on in my kitchen and in my head and in my marriage. And I have a lot of friends with kids and we've had many conversations about family size and timing and I've read your letter so many times, and it's as if I'm looking for some clues, some cracks, some signs of ambivalence. But honestly, all I hear from you is contentment. There are a few words that really stand out that reinforce that. Words like beautiful, happiest, love, which you write three times, and the word balance. You have an equilibrium right now that some people never find. You guys are more than a functioning unit. You're a thriving family of three. I'm not going to lie. Introducing another baby into your current mix will shake everything up. It does every time, whether it's the first or the tenth. It always takes time for things to recalibrate. And I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I was thinking it might be a little more helpful just to hear a bit about my story. So at 32, I accidentally got pregnant. My husband and I had been together on and off for 13 years, and we hadn't even talked about having kids. I mean, this was a total wacky doodle surprise. None of our friends had kids. I was very sick during my pregnancy. I felt very lost and overwhelmed. It was all so new, and I had no guides. My daughter was born at home on a beautiful winter morning in Los Angeles. There was a little drama. <laughs> we don't need to go into those details. And I ended up having a, a pretty extreme experience with postpartum depression. Again, that's a whole other story. I'm happy to talk about that anytime you like, but it sounds like that's not an issue for you. Thank goodness. Knock on wood. But it took me a long time to fall in love with my daughter. A really long time, but I did. And when she was two, I knew that I wanted a second child. And I can't explain why. I can't even remember why. Maybe it was just because I'd grown up with a younger brother, so it just seemed normal. Or maybe I wanted to try it all again with the hopes that the second time it would be easier, kind of like a do-over. Maybe I just wanted my daughter to have a buddy. I don't know. It's all a blur now. But back then, it, it really felt so clear. We weren't questioning anything. We we're just going for it. And it was just something we knew we had to do. And oh my God, it was brutal. I had 10 miscarriages. I saw four fertility specialists. I did weekly acupuncture. I did post-sex handstands in the dark. Not recommended, by the way. (laughs) And then four and a half years later, I gave birth to our son. And the second time around, everything was the same. I was really sick, throwing up for 20 weeks while pregnant. Um, I was depressed, and I struggled to fall in love again with my son, but I did. Again, the love happened. It always happens, eventually, for me. (laughs) My daughter's now 14. My son is 10. And I'm going to say that cheesy thing I shouldn't say that you don't want to hear And that is that I can't imagine my life without either of them. My son brings me so much joy. He calms me. He cooks with me. I learn so much from him every day. I watch him draw. I never know how to draw. My daughter actually organizes her closet by color. It's pretty incredible. Um, Very meticulous, organized girl. She checks in with me, makes sure I get enough sleep. She speaks French. She babysits. She can do 10 pull-ups. I mean, they all can do these things I can't do, which is really really inspiring. And they so they're full-on functioning human beings barreling towards adulthood. And I'm actually in that phase now where I'm counting the days I have left before they leave for college. But let me back up to when my son was four and my daughter was eight. This was when we really found our groove. We had two kids, a dog, mostly fun family dinners, uh, two successful rounds of potty training completed, and both kids were sleeping through the night. We had two very organized art bins, which I highly recommend, by the way, there will be a lot of art pouring into your house. And we, we got this. We thought we got it. We can do this. And at this point, my husband and I started asking ourselves the same questions you are asking, you and your husband are asking. But for us, it was about having a third child. And we anguished about this unknown entity, this potential fifth wheel. How would he or she fit into our lives? We don't have a third bedroom, I would say, or our car is too small. I, I was just looking for excuses instead of saying what I really felt. And that is that I didn't want to throw off our balance. And to use your word, our beautiful family life. Plus, I'd survived the postpartum depression with two kids. I was scared that going through the experience a third time would push me towards the edge, even over the edge, towards the unmanageable, towards what I feared most, which was constant chaos. You know, those houses you go into sometimes with kids, and it's just so messy and so noisy. (laughs) You can barely think. So here's my advice. And it might not be easy, but I I don't think it should be easy. I think you should anguish a bit. Uh, In your mind, take yourself to that edge, that disruptive edge, that chaotic edge, the scrambling to feed two kids edge. Think about sibling rivalry. Think about viruses passed from kid to kid to grown-up to kid back to grown-up. So much vomit. (laughs) Feel it. Describe it. Write about it. What is too much for you? What is too much for your husband? It's not double the work with another kid, because it's easier the second time around, and they do entertain each other eventually. But, you know, for me, it was the overwhelming thought of getting on an airplane with three kids instead of two, driving three kids to school, feeding three kids, three college educations. It just felt like too much. But guess what? These are just the superficial details, the most superficial details. And the bottom line is that if you choose to have another child, your heart will stretch. Your husband's heart will stretch. You will fall in love with a second child and you will find a new rhythm. But I guess all I want to say today to you is that it's okay to preserve your beautiful family of three. It's really okay. Our last question explores
1: how to welcome a new member into your family, when that person has had challenging experiences with their own family. Here's our last question. Dear Mama B, my sister-in-law comes from a very challenging family situation. As she's grown, she's distanced herself from her family and no longer speaks to two of her sisters. In contrast, my brother and I and our entire family are very close. It feels as if my sister-in-law doesn't want to engage in our family activities. Do you have any suggestions on how we can get her to participate in family events and communication? This is even more important to us now that they have recently had a baby. Signed, New Auntie. How can new auntie help her sister-in-law feel comfortable as part of the family while being aware of all the challenges that come with being a new parent? Here's some advice
0: from my mom. Hello, new auntie, and thanks for your question. So, of course, you're confused by your sister-in-law's reluctance to join in. The dilemma is that you don't know what she's thinking, If you push your sister-in-law to participate now, that could adversely affect your long-term relationship. I don't think you want to turn this current situation into a power struggle. I bet you know that you can push her to join you, but you certainly cannot get her to enjoy herself once she's with you. It's probably safe to assume that she's either afraid or quite uncomfortable, or both. Let me give you a couple scenarios that might explain why she's acting this way. Maybe the whole idea of hanging out with extended family makes her uncomfortable. Or maybe she's even embarrassed or ashamed of her family, and that's why, part of why she isolates. Maybe she's just plain angry. There's a wonderful book called The Dance of Anger, written by a family therapist, Harriet Lerner, and it's about how anger within a family acts as a catalyst for more anger and more anger. In the book, she talks about that sometimes people don't know, even know that they're angry. So um, it's a complicated matter. Maybe your sister-in-law is still raw from some of the negative stuff that she's experienced, either within her own family or other Relationships. Maybe she even knows that you're disappointed with her. Maybe she's just shy. Sometimes the sensitive one in the family becomes quiet and withdrawn. Maybe she's just protecting herself. If people in our immediate family are critical, we will want to exit the scene, as I call it. Exit the scene, just escape and. Get away from them. If you want to have an honest and authentic relationship with her, it'll probably take a long time. I hope you can be patient. So the most important idea is to step lightly, be respectful and kind. Maybe you will consider having small family suppers once a month and invite them along if you start this tradition now and make it a routine thing, it could help to ease her discomfort. So I'm anxiously awaiting Rebecca's responses to what I've said.
1: That could only be the sound of one thing. It's time for mother, mother
0: daughter pickleball.
1: Hey, mom, before we get into pickleball on this one, I'd love to bring another player onto the court if you will. I was thinking there's someone in your family who would be absolutely perfect to give advice on this question.
0: Huh? Yeah. Okay. Well, my family's big. Who are you thinking of? (laughs) (laughs) So um,
1: your sister, Mary Ellen. Oh, yeah. She would be good. So she knows what it's like to enter a family that has a lot of strong family traditions, and she also comes from a family, your family, that has lots of strong family traditions.
0: Yeah, and definitely blended families. Yeah. You know, that's a great idea, Rebecca. Why don't we give her a call? So for this episode's last game of pickleball, my
1: mom and I would like to include a very special guest who will also be giving this question's second opinion. From the snow-crested hills outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin... I'd like to introduce you to my Aunt Mary Ellen.
4: Snow, it's beautiful here.
1: I thought it was like constantly snowing in Wisconsin.
4: No, it's it's 70 degrees and sunny. Everybody's going to move to the Midwest.
1: Uh, yeah, as they say in the Midwest, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we're having a little trouble getting my mom on the phone right now. Aunt Mary Ellen, can you tell people a little bit about your professional life?
4: I'm a retired surgical nurse after 33 years in OR. Um, I retired about four years ago because of my MS.
1: So you got any embarrassing stories about my mom while we wait for her to get on this recording?
4: No, none. None? She was a perfect sister. She was a perfect sister? Really? Really? Yeah, because she left early. (laughs) She she left home early. She was always off on a trip, Chile, uh, all over the place, Europe.
1: (laughs) She's been all over the place, and now, huh, yeah, yeah, and now she's here. You there, Mama? Okay, we're recording.
0: Oh,
4: we should have called you a week ago, Elizabeth. (laughs)
1: Ah, yes, the magic of podcasting. Sometimes it takes a while to align all the stars. But now here we are. And so, new auntie, I bring you advice from my auntie.
4: First, I think the most important thing is to let her know that she's part of the family in any shape she wants to be. She's become a new mother, and that's trying enough. But maybe with a little bit of help and a few phone calls, you can convince her that there is help out there if she needs it. Don't push it, but know that you're available for her. A new baby is more than most people can handle. It's so hard to, to predict what a person has in their personality, if they're quiet, if they're shy, if they're afraid, of what other people are going to think of them. And she doesn't want to be judged right now. She was just a sister-in-law. Now she's a mother. And what if she does something wrong? Guess what? Everybody does stuff wrong. But she doesn't want to be judged.
0: Right on.
1: So Aunt Mary Ellen, one of the reasons I was so excited for you to to give some advice on this question is because I feel like you've been on – multiple sides of this question. I have. So you've come, you've come into new families. You've accepted folks into your family. Can you talk a little bit about
4: those different roles that you've played? Yes. Um, this is my second marriage. My first marriage was 24 years, and when we married, he had been married before with a family. Children were three, five, and seven when we married. So I had a built-in family. I learned quickly, and being from a big family helped. I'm one of seven, that you learn by day-to-day activities. You learn by your mistakes. And as long as you show them attention and love and let them know that you're not leaving them, I think that's the hardest part. When you marry into a family that's already been there, And developed, and now they've got to accept somebody new. Just be yourself. Just be yourself. My second marriage, I got another family, three more kids. So I've never had children, but right now, today, I have eight grandchildren and proud of it. Yay, yay. Yay, indeed. And what's it been like
1: accepting these new members into your family?
4: It's more that they've accepted me than me accepting them. You always wonder whether or not the last partner or spouse, if you're going to be compared. And if they really care, they don't do that. They don't compare what somebody else was like. But they do find a lot of things that are alike. It's wonderful.
0: Boy, uh, Mary Ellen... You have a lovely way of expressing things, and you've been through so many different kinds of experiences that make you so wise. I love it. I love it.
4: I guess the thing is I learned to include everybody at any Mm -hmm. level that they wanted to be involved. You always take for granted that people grew up the way you did. It's just harder for some people to open up.
1: Mary Ellen, what I love about what you're saying is that it kind of emphasizes that you can't control how other people respond. You can only control how you present yourself.
4: Exactly. As long as they don't feel intimidated and you don't put up some false front in regards to who you are, put it out there. It's not... (laughs) If they don't like it, they don't like it. But at least you're honest, you're forthright. What, what you see is what you get. <laughs> so mom, I'm interested to hear
1: of your perspective as a psychologist. Sometimes on this show, we talk about triggers. Mm-hmm. Could the idea of just a family in general, so it doesn't even matter how wonderful this new auntie's family is, but just maybe for this new person marrying into their family, families are a trigger. Do you think that's
0: possible? Absolutely. And uh, it's very likely, actually. And possibly also with her new baby, sometimes people who've had a difficult childhood themselves are very worried about being a parent.
1: So do you have any recommendations for a new auntie for how she can, I mean, certainly she can't combat someone being triggered by the idea of families, but what can she do if she knows that?
0: I, I don't know that she can do very much at all. The reason I suggested the family suppers is because that is a relatively benign place to get to know people, but it's something that new that sister-in-law can predict if she's willing and she might not be willing. New auntie might, you know, might just have to be really really patient and really accepting that this might not happen. If Auntie is willing to work at it, I think she'll probably make some progress, but there's so many factors.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I think it's kind of like Mary Ellen was saying, that you can only really control <laughs> what you do, you know, and that, that idea of kind of a consistent effort and always being open is so powerful.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's part of why I like the book of um, the book, Dance of Anger. She talks a lot about how frustrating it is to not be able to change the other person. You know, it's it's sort of like um, a cliche we repeat it all the time, but then when it comes down to real life, we just really desperately want to change that other person. It's really a hard thing to accept that we, we can't change them, we can only change ourselves. But the good news is, if I change, that's going to have impact on everybody around me.
1: And so that concept that kind of brings up what you talked about at the very beginning of the show of um, the roots of family therapy, right? The roots of family therapy are that if you can change one person in the family, you can change the family dynamic. Is that right?
0: Sure. Most of the people who go to therapy are women. And m- many women will say, my husband will never come in. No, my boyfriend will never come in. And then I say, well, you know, just let him know he's, he's welcome here. And that, you know, we we're really, I'm not dragon lady. And I, we won't be bad mouthing him. But he, he's welcome here. I'd love to meet him sometime, just make it very casual. And uh Often they they get curious and uh, they come in, even if it's only once.
1: It's kind of the same recommendation you're giving with these family dinners. It's just make it casual, make yourself consistent, and always be open. And that's the most you can do.
0: Thank you for tying the thread so nicely uh, to the other thread. Ooh, you're good at that.
1: And Aunt Mary Ellen, any final
4: advice, auntie to new auntie, before we wrap up the show? Be true to yourself, And make sure you treat people like you want to be treated.
1: So, Mom, for this 10th episode, I'm going to now attempt to out psychologist the psychologist. Uh Uh-oh. Or I guess, as I've learned, out family therapist the family therapist. (laughs) Okay. I'm ready. I'm braced. Okay. So as we complete our 10th episode, my one question for you is... How
0: does that make you feel? I'm just delighted with the whole process. I, it's a lot more fun than I ever thought it would be and easier, I guess, because it ignites my passion and just allows me to share my thoughts. Uh-huh. And help people, which is, I
1: know, your mission in life.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What's not to like? <laughs>
1: So I've done, I've done some complicated calculations Okay. and um, I've concluded that you've helped at least 30 people because we've answered three questions every episode for 10 episodes. Okay. But I think the truth is with our listener count and the fact that people are telling people about podcasting, I think you've helped thousands of people. So if I'm allowed to ask two questions,
0: how does that make you feel? It, it's just a wonderful feeling. I know I got great, great, fabulous training. And so I want to give back. I I want to share this. I really love doing that.
1: I I love helping you do that. And I love seeing you shine. I love uh, getting questions from people around the world. And I know that my mom can give them good advice. Uh Uh-huh. It's What a kick. Oh, my gosh. My back feels so padded right now. We've got like the most patted back ever.
0: <laughs> pat on the back time. <laughs> P-O-B
1: time. Oh, is there... I didn't realize there was an abbreviation. When you don't have time to say pat on the back, you can say P-O-B? Oh,
0: yes. Oh, oh
1: yes. When I,
0: At the end of every session or during a session on my little notepad... I write down all the important points that we're making during the session, whether the client is saying it or we're saying it together or whatever, and then I read it to them at the end, and next to it, I write POB if it's um, something that they've accomplished that's really a good thing.
1: Okay, well, I guess at, at this, our 10th episode, we can give ourselves some POBs.
0: I usually ask people to actually physically give themselves a pat on the back. Oh, wow. I show them on my own back. And then after they do the first one, I go, okay, now on the other side. Oh, and then I do equal it on I mean, each side. And then uh, I say, that's my favorite
1: exercise. I mean, you know, there might be like people listening to the podcast right now, like on the, the subways of New York City. Should we just all like, we'll just take a quick moment. Everybody now, all our listeners, <laughs> mom, you do it too. You ready? <laughs> I'm
0: ready. Lead us, lead us in some pats on the back. I want you to pat yourself on the back for having gotten out of bed this morning, gotten dressed, probably brushed your teeth, and got going to work or wherever you're going today. P.O.B. Pat on the back.
1: Oh, it felt I felt good. And now, wait. So now we get the other side. Now you have to do the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Switch switch arms that are holding the subway pole though, so you don't fall down. We don't we don't want any. P.O.B. accidents or P.O.B.
0: Oh. You love to play with words. Uh-huh. Oh, my gosh.
1: I love words uh-huh. and I love playing.
0: Double fun.
1: So should we tell people what's what's next?
0: I think so. I think that would be exciting. But could you start?
1: <laughs> I'll start. So our 10th episode seems like a great place to really step back and look at what we've created with this kind of our first season of Advice for Mom. And when we look at what we want to do in the future, we want to help more people. So we think the best way to do that is to kind of reformat our show a bit and not so much visit you every once a month with an hour-long episode, but give lots of answers to lots of different questions and be more in your life every week. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a bit of a break. We're going to take the rest of this crazy year, 2017, to work on a whole new second season of advice from mom. What we need from our
0: listeners, mom, you want to tell them what we need? We need you to send in your good questions. Sometimes it's, uh, it's a challenge to put things into words when when you have a dilemma or you feel stuck but if you could just do that and send it in we would love to have your questions and answer your questions is that what you were thinking that that was from the heart right there mhm it was truly and i i'm i'm very excited about the new format and the way you and juliet and your your other people are you know, rethinking um, how to make this even better than it is. Wow. Never sit on your laurels. Just never replace
1: your own mom. That's that's the key thing. When we were looking at all the different variations we could do, we are like, well, there's one thing they can't change. Mama B.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um And it might feel like we disappear for a while, but I can promise you if you send us a question and we answer it in those three months, you will be hearing from us. So you won't have to wait until 2018 to get an answer to your question, never fear. But this also allows us to get some awesome second opinions and really find the perfect person to give advice for each question. So dear listeners, I can't even tell you how much it's meant to me to collect this advice for you. Starting this podcast was my way to try to help my friends cope after the election, and here we are, 10 episodes later, and I'm, I am in awe of your openness and generosity to share your questions, and I cannot wait for you to hear what we've got cooking for season two. As you might have noticed, this first season was entirely ad-free. We've made this first season without financial support from anyone, and I promise to not turn it into a pledge drive right now, but I would like to tell you about a few ways you can help us, and none of them cost a dime, and you might end up in the credits of Advice for Mom. So we've created a page on our website where we've listed all the ways that we'd love your help, sending in questions, of course, but also we'd love for you to give us feedback on which parts of the show you like the most. We want to hear about the wise people in your life that you think we should include on our next season. It's also a great way to find and follow us on your favorite social media channels. We'll be sharing things there while we're off the air for the next couple months. So to find all these lovely helping things you can do, go to advicefrom.mom slash yourturn. That's one word, your turn. And you can pick your favorite way to show us you care. Pro tip, if you fill out our feedback survey, You'll even get a sneak peek at some of the future segment ideas we're working on for next season. That's advicefrom.mom slash your turn. Thanks in advance for your help. I want to say a special thanks to the amazing support system that has made this first season possible. And I do want to call out a particular friend, my mentor, Roy Bahat, who has encouraged me since the start of this idea and gave my mom the best nickname ever, Everyday Yoda. You might have also noticed a quality bump after about our third episode, and the credit for that goes entirely to Juliette Heinley, who I somehow wrangled into being my editor, and has now truly become an amazing creative partner. And who doesn't want to give shout-outs to my mom? Everyone's Mama Bee. Thank you, Mom, for your time, your patience, and your love. There's nothing like listening to hours and hours of tape of you talking to continuously remind me how lucky I am to have you in my life. We'd like to thank our guests for this episode, Eve R. Meyer, Phyllis Grant, and Aunt Mary Ellen. Advice for Mom is a production of Wise Ones Advice Services. It is produced by Juliette Heinley and me, Rebecca Garza-Bortman. Editing by Juliette Heinley. Mixing and mastering by Jake Young. Publicity by Jane Riccobono. Audio assistance by Brian Garza. The song that you hear throughout this episode is Rebel in Motion by Scissors for Lefty. Our theme music is by my band, Love Jerks. I will be playing shows around the Bay Area this fall. Ah! To see me and Brian play live, check out our show dates at lovejerks.com. In the Bay Area, they like to say hella. 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 How are you spelling that? H-E-L-L-A. It means like extreme, like very and like like oh it's hella hot outside that's like something oh, they'll say in the so Bay Area
0: as opposed to hell of a hot day
1: right or as opposed to very hot they'll just say, oh it's hella hot outside
0: oh how cool hella hella um